Hello, thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. It's your host, Jimmy Drab. Welcome. Uh, tonight's special guest is Eric Smith. I've known Eric for a very long time. Um, he has been part of a number of bands. Uh, you know, uh, I've known him to be part of the LUVs, the Fantastics, Jagalinzer, and um, the Cold War. Most recently, he has been part of a band called The Sweet Dreams, and his newest project is called uh, Glowing Cloud. What you're listening to is a selection off of their his brand new EP called All My Psychic Children, and this is the title track that you're listening to. Um, it's a three-song EP. It's very short. Um, we discuss, obviously this release that he's just put out and the uh, future of that project and uh, you know what his plans are with it and it sounds uh, very exciting i'm uh, looking forward to seeing what else he comes up with uh, next in the coming year so um the album he chose was neil young's trans which was also very exciting um i've been looking forward to talking about this record um just happened to be that eric uh, said that this would be the one and Totally, totally excited to have him come on and talk about it. So uh, it was a great episode. Had a lot of fun talking. Uh, he came here to the place, the, the shed, and we hung out and actually got to listen to the record, which is nice. So, um, all my second children. That's available on Bandcamp now. So grab a copy of it. It's uh, very cheap, I believe. It's I think it might be pay what you can. It might be three dollars or three three to five dollars. I can't remember. I just recently purchased my copy. Uh, no physical copy, unfortunately. It's only available digitally. Um, if you uh, don't use Bandcamp for whatever reason, you can also just stream the music uh, on all digital platforms. So just go to iTunes if you use that, or Spotify, or uh, Tidal, or whatever it is that you use. And, um, and then just add it to your library and listen to it freely. That would help. That'd be great. I'm sure Eric would appreciate it. And... Um, yeah, let's just get right into it. Uh, we ask that you please do all the things that you do with the internet. Like, share, subscribe, comment, rate, review. Do whatever you want. Yeah, we'd appreciate all of it. It's great. And if you uh, are interested in uh, supporting our show, um, you can go to our website, psychicsthetic.net, and if you make a purchase there of anything that's in there, whether it be any uh, you know, merchandise, uh, records, or any other type of media in the store, uh, you can purchase uh, the record that we put out by the Hammer Party. Uh, Smash Hits is available there. And uh, yeah, you make a purchase of any of those things and uh, it helps the show out. helps us uh, keep this thing going. So, yeah. Without further ado, here's the show. Hey, uh, can I just say cheers? Yeah. Hi, Eric. Thanks for coming to my home. Thank you. I really appreciate... Um you having me here. This is cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you are you are in the shed. This is awesome. This is the first time I've ever done a podcast thing in person because I've only ever started being on a couple different things. Yeah. But it's all been Zoom or or Skype and all that right. stuff. So this is the first time I've ever done anything like this in per, in, in person, and it's it's cool. And and it's always nice to be able to just speak with you, speak with a person in person, and then of course you uh, you brought the record tonight, which you have chosen, Neil Young's Trans. 
which yeah. we have talked about this on the show in the past. Have you? Well, not re- I mean, not as the focal point, but it's got mentioned, and I think that I've spoken incorrectly about it. Okay. I, I, had, I had an impression about it. So when you said, how would you like to do that record? I was just like, yes. You seemed very excited. <laughs> I was. I was, because, I mean, I love Neil Young. Yeah. Um, I, I have not given this record a really good listen. So, and then, you know, in, in, the, in the form of the podcast, I, I do so much more research, more than I've ever done in, in my, my life. Sure. As far as, like, you know, listening to music is concerned. So um, I, I knew there was going to be some stuff here, and I'm, I'm, so I was just happy to kind of take it on. Yeah, And cool. happy that you suggested it. Yeah, cool. Cheers. Local Whalers beer tonight. So, uh, Eric, um, so we were already talking a little bit about, you know, what you've been do- doing. You've been uh, working on a home studio project, and that's basically how you got the latest recording done, the Glowing Cloud yep. band. Yeah, I uh, basically, you know, like uh, so many other people, the pandemic forced me to do things differently. And, mm. you know, like I was saying earlier, uh, my band, Sweet Dreams, uh, we weren't sure when we were we're still not sure when we're going to practice again probably soon or when we're even going to play a show again or record again which was what we were sort of planning on doing right before all this happened so um i had just been writing so many songs at home and i just got tired of just recording the songs into my iphone the 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 notebook you know the the Mm -hmm. the voice memo thing which is how i used to just keep track of ideas and i just got tired of just doing that because they weren't we weren't having band practices so those ideas weren't going anywhere you mm-hmm. know so i just started to build up all these songs and then i thought to myself you know i've i had a room in my basement at, at my house and i just thought you know i should just bite the bullet and learn a little bit about digital recording and you know i i feel like i'm i thought i was probably smart enough to at least do the basics it turned out i kind of was yeah you know um <laughs> i just did garage band and uh, I luckily had a bunch of gear. Yeah, you, you, you developed that after all the years yeah. that you were playing. So yeah. I had all the stuff, you know, so I just decided, like, you know, I should just do that. So I bit the bullet and bought some stuff and then, you know, um, learned a lot about it. And I think, you know, got to the point where I was able to, like, move up to using Logic mm-hmm. um, for the future stuff. But that... A record that I just put out, um, the All My Psychic Children EP, I, that's all done on GarageBand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mastered, my friend Pete, in my, who's in my band, mastered it at his studio in, in okay. Seekonk on, on something nicer. But yeah, it's, it was done pretty lo-fi yeah. um, for, for, like, for digital recording, you know. I mean, it sounds great. I Thanks. Mean, I, I've you. listened to it. I'm listening to it on iTunes currently uh, until I purchase it. Um, I need to make some more sales. My business needs to pick up before I start buying stuff again. Cause, that's, uh, that's quite all right. I, I've, been, I've been buying a lot lately. And, and you know, I, I try to support everybody that's here and that does the show. And mm-hmm. so, and therefore, it leads into like, oh, I've got like 40 other albums I have to buy now. <laughs> um, yeah. Plus, I have to go, go back into your back catalog, too. I mean, like, I've known about you and the bands that you've been in for, it seems like, decades now, right? I mean, yeah. I, I've, you know... Moved to Providence in 94 and from where? Um, from New York State, from near Rochester, okay. New York. I moved here to go to school and right. uh, I was in bands almost immediately, um, living at Rhode Island College in my first couple bands there. Um, then 
a bunch of my best friends were in the LUVs and uh, mm -hmm. they needed a drummer. So I was their drummer for a couple years, maybe. I don't even yeah. really remember it so long ago. Was that from the second album on, right? Yeah, I recorded the second record with them. Okay. I was, um, and uh, after that, my I was in the, uh, the Fantastics, and which turned into Jagalinzer, and we always struggled with having a fleshing out a full band. It seemed like yeah. me and my um, my buddy Bill uh, were always the the two guys, and we just couldn't keep a drummer, couldn't find. We just you know it was it was tough. Those years were tough. The kind of music that we were into yeah. and doing back then, nobody was really into like that kind of Brit pop, American Brit pop stuff. We were like we felt very alone you know it became mm -hmm. super popular several years after that but yeah i think that when we were trying to do it no one wanted to hear it no, no drummers in town wanted to like be in our band so yeah um but we did that for a while we never really put out a record or anything but we had done some recordings around did stuff here and there but unfortunately we never we didn't really have the work ethic to like put out a record and it was a little different back then it's so much easier now but back in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, it it definitely wasn't as easy to put out a record if you were a local band and really didn't have any money. You had to, like, you know, get, producing CDs was way more expensive and they were always so shitty. Yeah. Um, vinyl was totally out of... Like, there was, you couldn't... <laughs> right out of the budget. Yeah, I... I <laughs> Whenever a local band put out a vinyl record back then, I just marvel Like, I... I I always was like, how? How the, how can you afford that? Right. Um, because whenever we looked up how much that cost, it just was way out of my range. You know yeah. what I mean? So I didn't know how, and I just never could figure <clears throat> out how are these fans affording to do this? So it was much different back then. And then, mm. you know, it was a different city as far as playing. Like there wasn't, it was a much different like club scene for bands. Yeah. Um, what was cool, what everybody wanted to go to, and see back then was definitely not what my band was doing you know it was everybody it was, you know lightning bolt and like rockabilly was like the two right yeah <laughs> and like you know alt country has been you know and my my band never really fit in any of that stuff so. yeah yeah the pop scene because uh, i mean i would kind of categorize that into the pop realm yeah and yeah there's never really been a good pop scene in rhode island it's always been some extreme. It's always been like some specific genre, mostly noise. That's been like a really success successful, and then certain singer songwriters, like yeah. certain Americana ish yeah. type people. So when I moved here in '94, was right at the tail end of um, Velvet Crush, oh. and um, Small Factory, and a lot of that really awesome '60s power pop stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that all had that sort of teenage fan club feel to it. And they were really right. great. And I remember those being the first couple of bands I saw when I lived here was like Small Factory um, mm -hmm. and, and, and Velvet Crush. And there was definitely that pop scene then. But those bands moved away. Um, you know, Velvet Crush moved on right. and sort of became Matthew Sweet's backing band. Right. And then right. Small Factory that. moved to New York, I think. Um, and nothing really took over. There was some of that Terra Stock psych stuff mm -hmm. that was pretty underground, and I really was never cool enough to know a lot of the people that did that, you know. Mm. Um, that was more like in the Fort Thunder scene before it got really noisy. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's Providence is a really fascinating, weird city to, to do music in. Yeah. Um, for how supportive everyone is, and they really are, it's hard because 
it's it can be or at least it was back then i feel like things are different now and mm. um i i feel like i with our band sweet dreams i feel like we've gotten it's the most positive reaction i've ever had to any of my bands that i've ever been in in the yeah. last 20 years you know and like now as we're like old guys basically just doing it as a hobby you know now everyone likes it right yeah <laughs> not yeah. when i was 22 trying to get a record deal and trying to be like a real musician no one wanted to hear what i was doing better. right yeah. <laughs> yeah well i mean hey at least you can get it now i mean it's it's better than yeah. nothing I, suppose. I mean a part of it might have been that i wasn't very good at it you know i mean some of my bands back that yeah, we, we didn't work hard enough. We didn't have the work ethic, right. which I, you know, I can definitely own that. Like we didn't have, we were pretty lazy, you know, yeah. we, we didn't have the work ethic to really like force ourselves to go on tour or force ourselves to play shows all the time, practice yeah. all the time. We were very like bohemian about it. See, I think that that's strangely because like you, it seems like you write so, so much because like, you know, between what I've found out about the, this product, this newest project that you've done. Obviously, I mean, cause, like obviously, you keep working. Obviously, since '94, you've been just in constantly in some kind of project, yeah, to to some degree, and you're so you're constantly working on stuff. I, I guess, and I guess when you put it that way, yes, I guess I have been, but yeah, um, so you're not terribly lazy. I'm not terribly lazy. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. See, that's the just a, that's the I need that yeah. validation. You're um, okay. I appreciate wait, so, that. Yeah, and I want to go back actually because so you mentioned that you came from the Rochester area of New yep. York. So wh where where did you grow up? Where were you born? I grew up in uh, a little town called Leroy, New York, which is about forty five minutes outside of Rochester, right on the not right on the coast, but right on the southern edge of uh, Lake Ontario. My mom still lives there. My mom, my mom's still alive. She still lives in the house I grew up in, and she's retired. Yeah. And I grew up in a really small town. It didn't really have much music or anything, but I was in bands and my buddies were all in bands. Like usually the only band in right. town was the band that I was in. <laughs> there was yeah. a couple. Huh. Um, and I moved here to go to school in 94 and I, I'm, I've, I've been here ever since. I really, yeah. I love Providence and you know, I, I never really seriously considered moving anywhere else. Even when like, I think everybody, where it felt like any, everybody was sort of had the itch to move to Boston or New York especially if you were in a band right. in the late 90s and early 2000s around here. Mm. It just seemed like that was what a lot of people did, you yeah. know. Um, and, and I think that when I was maybe 21, 22, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll move to New York someday. But then it never really became, I never really seriously considered that. And yeah. a lot of my friends and a lot of bands we know and knew back then, you know, did that. They moved to New York or they moved to Boston or they moved to Austin or they moved to... Some, somewhere some else better scene somewhere, somewhere else yeah somewhere better um, <laughs> but I never really I never really wanted to do that I just I, I always really loved Providence yeah. um, I just met the coolest people here and uh, was always in cool bands and there was always fun stuff to do and you know I never felt wanting to, to be anywhere else in fact I think Boston sucks um, Agreed. Playing shows in Boston has always been a huge pain in the ass. It's it's yeah. almost never fun. Um, same thing with New York. I mean, how many times can you drive to New York to be the first band on a five-band bill before it's like, what the yeah. fuck am I doing? You Why know, am I you... driving to New York to play at 9 o'clock and there's no one there? And then you drive home at two in the morning when you're wasted, and it's just like this is stupid. <laughs> what's What's even better about New York is when you go to play and on a bill, whoever's playing, you show up and there's people in the room, and it's just like, oh, cool, there's going to be people here. This is great. 
and you go on to play, and everybody leaves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you're done playing, and everyone comes back. Yeah, that <laughs> seemed to happen more, and, you know, it seemed to happen to my band all the time, and I was like, it can't be our band. We're great, you know? <laughs> it's, it's New York. New York, they're just so so, uh, so privileged, so, so entitled, that they don't want to go see a band that they don't know. Yeah, there's all those clubs in New York um, <laughs> around this time, the early 2000s, like the Lower East Side, where it was like those two-room sort of railroad apartment clubs where it was like two rooms, and the front room was the bar, and then the live room was in back. Mm. So whenever we played, which was usually first at 9 o'clock, everyone just left and went to the bar and drank. So right. you're playing to literally no one because the, it's a separate room. Right. You know, there's no one there. Yeah. It just happened so many times. It's kind of the years. way ASU 20 set themselves up now. It's exactly, was like, it, yeah, just like that, right. where, you know, if... People could, if they didn't want to hear music and they wanted to talk and they didn't give a shit about your band, they would just go in the other room. It was perfect if you were, let, if that's what you wanted. But yeah, I, I have played to so many empty rooms in New York. <laughs> that's all right. That's and I'm sure you know, you know how it, you know I, how it is too. Same with Boston too. We've played many an empty, to, empty room across the country. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now getting back to to New York and, and growing up there. Um, so what was uh, what was music like in the house when you're growing up? Um. I had to sort of find it on my own. Um, yeah. My parents were a little older. Um, okay. And so you have any siblings? I had an older brother, um, but he didn't. He was he was older. He didn't he didn't he didn't live with us. He was an adult, you oh, know, okay. and out of the house. Um, he did give me some cassettes. Like I remember him making me, you know, Van Halen dubbed cassette. Um, uh, I think he uh, what was something else. He 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 was into he was into like seventies and early eighties classic rock. He was a all-American classic yeah. rap dude. ACDC. Um, yeah, he would have like been that. into all of that. Okay. Um, I was younger and more of an MTV kid. Grew up listening to you know Duran Duran and Michael Jackson and, and then like Depeche Mode. And then Depe <laughs> and then old, later on Depeche Mode um, and like you know REM alternative stuff and then of course like you know everybody my age I got mm. into Nirvana and Guns N' Roses and Metallica so um, I had a bunch of good uh, close friends in my town and we were all into that stuff like we kind of you know, found the underground stuff. And, and living in the country like we did, there, we didn't have as much access to, like, underground stuff. So mm. it was harder to find. You know, I had to... I think the most underground magazine that we could get in my area at the time was Alternative Press. You know, we really... Hmm. That was it. So yeah. so if, if it wasn't in Alternative Press, I didn't know about it, you know. Um, but we got into, like, you know, all of the early 90s underground stuff when it came out. And that's just where I got into, yeah, Nirvana and Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. But, like, before that, you know, Neil Young, really. Hmm. Um, Neil Young was one of my first sort of artists that wasn't, heavy metal or rock and roll or or, or, or or punk or whatever um him and dylan were like the two um softer more traditional classic yeah guys that i got into and it was just from learning to play the guitar and i had an acoustic guitar and i think i had had like a neil young songbook and that just led to you know getting harvest and after the gold rush and right. his early, early stuff, which is what I really all I listened to as far as Neil Young records for a really long time until up into my 20s when mm. I started discovering other stuff. But when I was in high school learning how to play the guitar and learning how to write music, it was 
Neil Young and Bob Dylan and Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth and, you know, R.E.M. Yeah. And that was, like, what taught me how to how to write stuff, you know. So what? Uh, so when did you start learning an instrument, and what instrument did you start off with? Guitar. Um, okay. And I remember I saw the um, Aerosmith rockumentary, and I thought to myself, this, is a, this seems like a really cool way to meet girls. And the yeah. next day, I was told my mom, I was like, I want to, I want to take guitar lessons. So I took some guitar lessons and I got to get, you know, she, they found me an acoustic guitar. You didn't, you didn't guitar. talk to your mom and say, mom, I want to start meeting girls. I think, I don't know if I told her that. <laughs> I probably, I probably, you know, didn't tell her that. But, um, but yeah, that was uh, what got me into it. And then it all kind of happened, you know, those same couple years was mm. when it all happened. I mean, REM, how the time came out and um, so much alternative guitar music and metal and you know heavy stuff that i sort of absorbed it all mm. and you know i didn't really you know i really wasn't cool so i was listening to a lot of uncool stuff you know i was listening to a lot of like like the new metallica record which was the black one which is still mm. the new one to me it's still um, a classic it's yeah <laughs> um and you know Stuff like that, but I absorbed it all, and I think I, you know, those years. I think when you're when you're young like that, you really do soak up everything like a sponge. Right. You know? So I was listening to that. I was listening to Primus, Sonic mm-hmm. Youth. Oh, yeah. You know, also my um, a friend of the family gave me a crate of records that had Neil Young's Harvest in it, and that's the first time I had ever heard a Neil Young record that wasn't like on, you know classic rock radio hmm. um so that was harvest was the first neil young record i ever heard as a record mm-hmm. um and in that box of records was also like you know simon garfunkel's bookends mm-hmm. um you know um creedence clearwater you know cosmos factory and that's, that's uh, you know those like vinyl staples yeah. and i just absorbed all that stuff. And I lived in a small town, so like all the kids in my high school listened to Rush, it seemed, or, you know, Guns N' Roses or Metallica uh, or Grateful Dead, stuff really sort of more mainstream sort of con- like, you know, small town stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that was always around too. And mm-hmm. I liked some of it, but I didn't really gravitate towards that as much as I did towards like the noisier stuff, you know, yeah. Sonic Youth and Dinosaur. Right. When those bands came out, that really, you know, really, I definitely wanted to do stuff more like that. Like right. when Ministry, you know, first came, first hit MTV and you, you you could see, you know, their videos, it was just like, holy shit, like what the hell is this? Like I thought I knew what heavy music was. And yeah. Ministries like Psalm 69 comes out. And at that point, that was the heaviest thing I'd ever heard. Yeah. Huh. You know, I hadn't discovered like Slayer yet, you know. Mm-hmm. But like that ministry record is just like, holy shit. Like, I didn't know anything could sound this brutal, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, and I just soaked all that stuff up. Okay. So how old were you when you were picking, when you picked up the guitar? Probably 15. Okay. I think I would, it probably would have been like 91. Yeah. Um, and it was right around, you know, yeah, I remember it was just like there's probably a two or three year period where, where yeah, it was like REM's out of time, Depeche Mode, Violator, um, Nevermind came out, Metallica, The Black Record came out, um, mm-hmm. Sonic Youth's Dirty came out around then, mm-hmm. um, and it was like those two or three years where I got my full education of that 
stuff. You know, I just yeah. soaked soaked it all up. Okay. So, um, so obviously, in in that time period where you're kind of like kind of uh, exploring a lot of music, a lot of stuffs being introduced to you uh, in one way or another, you find Neil Young. Um, when did you find this album, Trance? It wasn't until much later on, like probably yeah. okay. probably fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. is when I if I had to guess when I first came across it, and I don't even remember where or how. I just remember, I think someone had burned a CD of it somehow because it was never commercially available on CD. Hmm. So somehow I either had a tape of it um, or, or, or something. before It was before streaming, right. so I knew yeah. that. Um, right. And it's funny because, you know, the first thing I noticed was, oh, the song Transformer Man is on that record. And I think most people around our age, the first... They're familiar with that song from his Unplugged performance. Oh, is um, it on there? He plays Transformer Man on that, and it's a very, you know, it's a, a acoustic, and it sounds yeah like it sounds very Neil Young. And I think it actually opened the show. If I'm if I'm remembering it correctly, it's the it's the first song he played. Okay. Um, on the the special anyway. I haven't listened to the the record of it in a long time. So I could be wrong, but yeah, I knew that, that song, and I was like, oh, this is supposed to be his weird noise record right and um but i knew the song transformer man and i don't think i don't think you can be prepared for how fucking weird this record is um especially when he kind of wrong foots you with the first song yeah which is a very traditional very country inflected song that sounds like a kind of a boring neil young song yeah you know Mm -hmm. um and then immediately after that you get the rest of the record, which right. is, which is, just insane sounding. Yeah, yeah, and uh, wait. So, how old do you think you were when you heard this? Oh God, I was probably around thirty or okay. something. All right, you so know? when you're mature, you're, you're yeah, an adult. All right, definitely an adult. I definitely didn't hear it in my twenties. Um, it really wasn't until then that I started getting into later Neil Young records. Hmm. You know, the later '70s stuff, which is. Definitely more my favorite, Neil Young. Um, when yeah. he starts getting angrier and more fucked up through the 70s, and the records take on a much darker feel, and even some of the happiest, most you know pleasant-sounding songs are much darker. Right. And that string of albums uh, is, I think, his best. And right up to, you know, Trans, where he's just extremely angry and going through a lot of crazy personal stuff in his in his in his, in his yeah. life which um is sort of the story behind the creation of this record and why it sounds the way it sounds okay so it sounds like you have done some research as far as like the the history of this album and kind of how it came to be yeah as much as i could okay. i mean i've always known the story behind the record um, oh, okay but there's not a lot you can research at when i was trying to get prepared for this I went and did a deep dive and Googled a lot. There's not a lot of information about this record. Mm. Um, Neil Young, at the time, when this record came out in 82, he was not doing interviews, and he was not doing any kind of promotion on his own for this record. So he never told people until many years later 
why this record sounds the way it does and what was going on in his life because it was very private. Right. Mm -hmm. So the story is, is that um, in in the early '80s, um, Neil Young and his wife have their first, have have their son Ben, who is born with cerebral palsy, hmm. and he um, is uh, uh, quadriplegic and um, nonverbal. And Neil Young had spent the year before making this record um, in an intensive program of treatment for his son. Like him and his wife were basically learning how to take care of Ben. Mm -hmm. um, and he slowed down working. He, he, I think he took a year off from making music. There wasn't anything. Ha he, he needed to, Focus him and his wife needed life. to learn how to take care of their sons. He had right. a, lot of, a lot of needs. Yeah. And um, one of the things Neil did was he was always into model trains, and he had he, this huge train set in their house that he um, rewired and modified so that his son could control it. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the one of uh, one of the places where Transformer Man came from. Yeah. Um, Transformer Man is his son Ben. Right. Um, along with that, Neil Young was trying to find ways to communicate with his son because he was he was nonverbal mm -hmm. and um, couldn't understand what they were saying, and they could they were having a hard time understanding what he wanted. You know what um, he, and he and he was also a baby, you know, so between having, you know, cerebral palsy and being a, a, a baby, they, it was very hard for them to ascertain his needs and it was yeah. a struggle and it really right. was stressful. I bet. Um, yeah. So, the synthesizers and the vocoders came about with Neil Young messing around with them and apparently his son Ben responded to hearing those sounds like he responded to hearing the the, the words being spoken through a vocoder hmm. and robotic synthesizer stuff um so that was where the that i i and I, again there's not a lot of information about this if you right. look up the making of trans you're not you don't find it you no. find a lot of articles <laughs> about the record you find right. a lot of reviews from now looking back on it and seeing right. it for the work of art that it really is and the sort of weird genius yeah. that it is. But Neil Young has really never talked about it besides many years later telling just this bare bones story about right. where the record right. came out. But that's that's really it. Mm -hmm. What else was going on It was that Neil uh, had just signed to the brand new Geffen Records. Right. And he was going to be one of their flagship artists because he was just huge. So Geffen was expecting this crazy, awesome, classic Neil Young record. And he recorded two records around the same time um, mm -hmm. in Hawaii with Crazy Horse. Um, Islands in the Sun was one of the records, and the other record, I, I'm not sure if it had a name, but it was the songs that made up trans, the more electronic songs. Right. He had submitted Island in the Sun to Geffen and they rejected it. They said, this is it sucks. terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> so along with that, the, the songs that became trans, he um, re-recorded a lot of the Crazy Horse instrumentation 
and replaced it with synthesizers, replaced it with a vocoder mm -hmm. and a synclavier uh, synthesizer. Um, and but but what is interesting about the record is that a lot of times it's described in it's described as oh this is Neil Young's electronic record or it's his like synth pop record right. or it's an entirely synthesizer record. It, it, it's not. There's a lot of instrument. There's a lot of standard classic instrumentation on it. And right. Crazy Horse is the backing band. They play these instruments. Like the guitars are the Crazy Horse. It's you know, Nils Lofgren is on the record. He's playing the guitars. Mm -hmm. um, one, I think the bass player, the guitar player, plays a lot of the synthesizers. Neil plays a lot of the synthesizers. And when you listen to it, um, you do hear Crazy Horse. I mean, you hear this. They were like a really rough sounding thudding band and you hear you hear their instruments and you hear them right. underneath this weird synthetic bones that was some some of it was replaced with like some of the drums are replaced with drum machine some aren't there's some original guitars on it there's some it's synthesizers um it's a really odd mashup of very unproduced some of it is quite bad sounding <laughs> yeah well and and that, i think that had some of that has to do with the time period you know recording technology in the 80s i mean there was definitely a lot like a strong like production presence going on yeah. in that decade where i think that a lot of his recordings and everyone everyone's recordings in the 80s kind of fell subject to that and yeah and, ended up just sounding like an 80s record it's just kind of hard to avoid right it's Neil Young has said that this is his favorite record of his, um, mm -hmm. but he says if there's anything wrong with it, it's probably in the mixing. It's probably a bad mix. He said that they had a lot of technical difficulties and equipment failures as they were trying to mix the record. Right. And I would agree. When you listen to the record, it's almost it's it's like maddening how good it it has the potential to be. And some of the songs are just absolutely gorgeous, like mm -hmm. Transformer Man is a beautiful song. Um, Computer Age is a beautiful song. Uh, we Are In Control and Sample and Hold are like disco grunge. It's, mm. they're really great sounding. Yeah. But the mix and the, the feel of it is really cold. I feel like it almost seems like in the hands of a producer outside of them, someone could have probably really polished this record up into something that didn't sound in some ways sort of slapdash and in other ways just wrong like the 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 the, the more acoustic and country flavored songs sound completely out of place um and they're okay the, the opening song isn't a terrible neil young song but it's it's yeah. it's 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 kind of you know grade c neil young stuff it, right. it's really only as the record progresses that you hear Sorry. how much he's diving into the synthesizer technology. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say I would agree with that completely. I mean, it's I, I I've been listening to this now for for quite a few days and listening to it a lot. And it's I mean, it's very interesting music. It's definitely not what I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially after doing some of the research and kind of like getting more familiar with kind of the background and kind of like, you know, what prompted this record to happen because yeah. it was, it's such a departure for, for him, really. It is. And if you, it, and it's not so much of a surprise if you really 
are a fan of Neil Young's and sort of see his arc of albums because he always wanted to defy expectations. Like he was True, bored yeah. with the commercial success that Harvest had, so he went in a different direction. He was bored with um, the attention that, you know, after the gold rush and that really country folk and piano balladry got him, so he went harder rock. And mm-hmm. then in the later 70s, it's, he, you know, he has, you know, records that are very fuzzed out, like uh, Rust Never Sleeps. He experiments with just pummeling guitar tones and fuzz tones that are like some of the most unlistenable guitar tones you ever heard. Uh, yeah. Super loud volume, super ultra distorted guitars. So he was always a fan of doing what he wanted and defying what people were expecting of, of him at, at any time. And the record before this, um, Reactor, sort of was heading in this direction, yeah. but the, it's kind of an unremarkable record. This, it doesn't have the story that this record has, and it doesn't really dive into the electronics and synthesized elements as much as this record does. And then Neil yeah. didn't really do it again after this. I think that if he had you know, maybe done another a, a sequel to Trans afterwards or, or, or really sort of followed this type of music he would have i think there there would have been some really cool ideas not that not yeah. trans in itself isn't awesome it's it's like maddeningly frustrating to listen to because i feel like the, it has this potential that it never quite gets to yeah. you know yeah. it, it it kind of just it it doesn't quite but but when but it is amazing and transformer man is a beautiful song Mm-hmm. And as much as people, you know, talk about how the vocoder renders Neil's voice, you know, it's not, you know, the beautiful Neil Young voice. Yeah. Transformer Man, it's almost the vocoder acts as, you know, a way to almost purely distill his angelic falsetto into like this robotic, mm. um, angelic sci-fi. It, it, it almost works I think it's perfect. It's 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 the perfect effect for Neil Young's voice if he was going to do something wild is to yeah. run it through a vocoder and have it be that sort of pure tone that is that he sings in in, hmm. in that song. And then the other songs when he's when it, his voice is like distorted out of recogni- out of recognition, it's also like it's just incredible to listen to. Hmm. Um, the, the, the timber and the tone and the feel of the it's just so like dirty yeah. you know, it's very grungy and I think that that is hmm. um, has a lot to do with the fact that the, the, the backing band is Crazy Horse you know so it's not that weird of a record it's it's Crazy yeah. Horse and then Neil replaces it some of it with synthesizers and drum machines yeah. but a lot of it is still there I think it was it was a confrontation to his audience because it was just such a departure from what he everyone was used to everyone and, and even you know because he he's such a uh, an amazing artist that always challenged himself with basically every almost every album mm-hmm. i mean you know i think there's a slow progression but there are definitely progressions throughout his career and uh at the time uh this one you know 1982 uh get you know diving into the new technology and that was i think a really de- divisive um uh characteristic and and and, and thing to kind of incorporate to his audience yeah because people just saw it as like oh no he's going the 80s he's going the, the synth route now because everyone's using synth you know um, and that's not yeah and, and 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 you hear that take a lot when you read about this record when people 
haven't really learned a lot about it. Right. But like I was saying earlier, it's, it's really not a synth pop record. Right, right. And he, he, was, and he shrouded in mystery. So yeah. That's the, the other and he thing didn't about talk about record. it at the time. So right. the, the only clues at the time was that he did. He made a movie <clears throat> called Human Highway that, that Devo is in. He, he befriended Devo okay. and he got uh, in. He was listening to Kraftwerk and. Uh, that was one of the main inspirations for the sound. That's what introduced him into um, synths and vocoder stuff, was, was discovering Devo mm. and really getting into the weirdo art freak stuff that they were doing, which yeah. was really weird at the yeah, time. Yeah, you know, super I, weird. I for, caught a video of them doing that somewhere. Yeah. Somebody posted it on Facebook. I can't remember who did it. Yeah, you see that video every once in a while, and that's from that era. Yeah. That is from That video is probably from before he made trans but it might also be from when he was touring with trans which he did he, he took the record on tour and did some of this stuff yeah. live um and you know nils lofgren is on that tour as his guitar player and in the very next year he was bruce springsteen's guitar player for born in the usa that tour mm -hmm. so this record the people that play on this record are you know classic rock guys you know mm -hmm. it's it's Crazy Horse. It's like the most, you know, rock dudes <laughs> that right. Neil Young ever played with. So um, I want to kind of get into this record a little bit. Now, um, when you approached me with it, um, after listening to the new the, to the to your new EP, you know, um, all my second children, it almost seemed to click like immediately. Like I was just mm -hmm. like, oh. Okay, like, I mean, you know, I mean, I've heard the other bands that you've been part of, but this release that you put out just recently, All My Sacred Children, seems very akin to this. And like, when you, when, and like, after I, I, I listened to it, after you told me about this record, I was just like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, this makes sense. This this actually seems like it's a, a very good and close connection and probably uh, one of the most accurate, like, choices by a guest as far as it's like hey this is like one of the records that really kind of influenced me because you've always dealt like dabbled i feel like in all the bands that i've seen you perform with in a little bit of electronic like electronica in those elements in those like yeah. you know, brit pops uh in, yeah. in that you know like uh uh not not pop punk what is that the i guess i'll just call it pop for now just just, just to symbolize it but um, but there always is some kind of like digital element, some electronic element in there. Yeah, uh, one of my older bands when, when we were doing um, the Fantastics and um, Jagalinser, we were really into uh, British um, bands that crossed over into dance, and we were also at the time we were also DJing, um, mm. and me and my band, the Fantastic, we became house music DJs at the same time because we, we got turntables, we dove into techno and house music and like mm. deep house, loved all that stuff and we were listening to Stone Roses and Happy Mondays, um, Primal Scream and Screamadelica and, and yeah, for, for a lot of years um, I just loved all that stuff and still do and that band, we definitely were trying to, that's probably around when I first met you and saw you guys, I but think so, yeah. um, we were definitely trying to incorporate um, the dance music stuff because we love that you know we wanted to we didn't we had kind of we had kind of gotten bored with being a just a guitar band but we wanted to have like beats and mm. we wanted you know we wanted to get into the dancier side of it so there was an element of of 
of that. You know, we definitely were trying. And again, nobody around here wanted to hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wanted to hear a band that a rock band with the guitars that had like you know a, a house beat under a yeah. couple of their songs. You were ahead just... of your time. <laughs> <laughs> we were ahead of time here, but we were also ten year, ten years behind what was going on in England. We were like very oh, yeah. influenced by stuff that was like ten years old at that point. But yeah. that was fun, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also, your your singing style very similar, very similar to Neil Young. It's but... really funny. I mean, I didn't think about that at all while I was recording this little EP. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't think at any point that I sounded like Neil Young. Well, I think it's just your natural singing. Voice. And but it's weird. It's weird that I didn't think that because when I was younger and you know playing Neil Young songs on the guitar, I, I heard that all the time. And mm-hmm. I think I had just kind of forgotten that. Like, yeah. I think I had forgotten how much I was influenced by Neil Young. Well, um, and you haven't always been the lead. Like in all the bands that you've been part of since you moved here to Providence, like you haven't always been the frontman. Not always, yeah. The, yeah. the first couple I was um, when uh, in, in the Fantastics and Jagalins where I was the singer. Uh, then when we did the Cold War, um, uh, Miguel, who had been the singer for the LEVs, mm-hmm. um, was was the singer in that band. Um, when I was in the Americans, I just was doing background stuff. I was playing bass with them. Um, it wasn't until we um, started Sweet Dreams a few years ago that I started singing again and writing songs and being like. You know, the vocalist for the band again hmm. and I think I had just forgotten that I was influenced by Neil Young I re- it really wasn't until I was done with that EP and put it out and just sent it to all my friends to listen to that I started hearing like oh you really sound like Neil Young it sounds like Neil Young and I was like I think, oh, it shit. So- I think it sounds like you I just think that you happen to sing in that range right I don't think I'm I, I definitely wasn't trying to uh, consciously ape his vocal style right. but I think that just the fact that that's how I learned to play music it right, all came right, back right. you like I can't yeah. shake that I uh-huh. can't sing differently I'm too old to sing a different way than I sing now but, I mean it's comfortable for you right yeah yeah so is, I don't yeah. I don't I think it's it's your natural voice you know I mean just like Neil Young himself I mean he does he that's the that's the way he sings yeah you know? I think so I just it's I just wasn't thinking about that I think that it, I think if you got comments from friends that were listening to the record and mentioning that to you, it, it's it, it's just a a common reaction as a as a music listener. You know, is that you kind of always want to, you know, find out or or at least pinpoint what does this remind me of? Hmm. What is this most similar to? And so I think that it was yeah, it's just kind of natural progression for everyone to say like, oh yeah, kind of it's kind of Neil Youngy. Yeah, and I really appreciate it. I mean, I mean, obviously I'm incredibly flattered if someone if, if mm. someone hears me singing on my record and they, they, they brings to mind Neil Young, that I I'm <laughs> flattered beyond belief. I yeah. don't think I'm really deserving of that kind of a comparison at all. But um, I'm you know obviously very flattered and humbled by that. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so let's. Uh, Let's get into this. Uh, let's just say, first of all, thank you to Kevin Levitt for letting us borrow the vinyl copy of yeah. this record, which I've already shown off a little bit. Um, I was telling you because you were kind of curious what it meant, this whole X 2 thing. This is basically like an audiophile pressing. Okay, cool. I, I've never seen that yeah. sticker. I'm sure Kevin Kevin's an audiophile dude. I'm sure he knows exactly what that means. He, he must have done this on purpose, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope... I mean, I hope he found like it for a good deal, but uh, I'm imagining that this is actually very valuable. Um, it's in really great condition. I mean, minus a little bit of splitting on the on the sleeve and stuff like that. Yeah, but, it might be. Yeah, I mean, just because these audiophile copies, these Quiex Two versions, like they typically because they're not not 
every record has got pressed like that. You know, it was just like a limited thing. Yeah, like I'm, I, um, he, he's a record collector. He yeah. probably has a lot of records with that. I would, I would imagine. Okay. But he knows a lot more about that than me. I, but I've never seen, yeah. I've never seen that. There, so. There's half speed masters mm-hmm. and stuff like that too. Um, the first song, a uh, little thing called Love, is a little bit of a kind of a throwaway song. It's not a great Neil Young song in general, but it's most similar to what his public knew if knew him as. So uh, let's listen to a little bit of that. <laughs> this is one of the songs that was on Islands in the Sun, the record that was rejected by Geffen. And right. he, he took three songs from that and put it on this record. Let me just try to get it to the chorus. Let me see where is it is. Here it is. So there's a little guitar thing in the back there that he reuses for Harvest Moon. You know about um, that, okay. Yeah, so there's a, there's a little, and I, yeah, so he, he recycles that little um, A walk up and it's it, it, he throws it into Harvest Moon. It came out, whatever, early 90s. Yeah, I, I immediately picked up on it because I specifically remember uh, Harvest Moon. Um, I remember watching his documentary, uh, Heart of Gold, mm-hmm. that live concert video. Yeah. Um, and I remember hearing that Harvest Moon in that performance and really loving that song. Great I wasn't song. I wasn't familiar with the record very much to, you know, uh, Harvest Moon, the, the album. But um, yeah, I immediately picked up on that. I was just like, that's great. Like he just the, how he would kind of after doing the research, realizing, oh, OK, this this whole album was almost an essentially a throwaway and how he's kind of on a couple of occasions throughout this record. And I'm sure we're going to pick them out. Um, it seems like he kind of either reuses or reworks like uh, previous compositions. Yeah, and I think that he's. Uh, I think that it, it 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 it's obvious that he is one of those artists that um, definitely yeah recycled ideas. Um, I think that it was. Um, I read something from that, that, that Tom Waits once said. It's like. Uh, if he had ideas that didn't work, he would just recycle them. We call it cutting bait. And okay. it was just, you know, basically fi- ideas that did never work, just chopping them up and completely reworking them to try to get them to work. And I think it's obvious that Neil Young, and I'm sure so many other artists, you know, have old things that they try to drag out to sort of find new life with mm-hmm. them. And it yeah, sounds like he at course. least took that one little part. It's not a terrible song. No, it's just that's right. It's a kind of a bland Neil Young song. If the whole record sounded like that, it would, it would just be kind of a bland. Yeah, it would kind of be a little boring. <laughs> so, so this song is called A Little Thing Called Love. A little bit of the lyrics from this uh, says, uh, Wait a minute now, honey, don't be sad. This may be the best love you ever had. But that don't mean that you had enough. Um, followed by the chorus, which is only love puts a tear in your eye. Only love makes you hypnotize. Only love makes you choose. Only love brings you the blues. So with this being said, my question for you is uh, what was the saddest you've ever been for a happy moment or the happiest you've been for a sad moment? Oh, God. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if my brain works that way. I I don't. I have a hard time recalling things when I'm asked pointedly. Okay. But um, 
two weeks from now, something will pop into my head, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll text you. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> might, might be a little too late by then, but... Um, <laughs> So I mean, do you you don't experience that like uh, like sometimes that uh, overwhelmingly overwhelming happiness where you you sometimes find yourself like crying even? Oh yeah, absolutely for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely know how that feels. You know. Um, yeah. Um, I, I'm 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 very lucky. Uh, you know, I I have an amazing girlfriend. We have a great house, and I've got great friends. And I find myself, um, you know, as often as possible, reflecting on how fortunate I am. And mm-hmm. how uh, how much I really do have, and where there's a lot of people um, who I who I both know and don't know who are are suffering, especially this past year. Mm, um, that's true. I I had a very again I'm very fortunate to 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 be good this whole year, and um, I have friends and um, family and who who were not as good, and and it it it. it it's 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 hard, you know. I just but mm. a, a lot of times when I do think about how 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 good I have it, you know, sometimes it's usually when I'm like in my head complaining about something or kind of being a whiner about something, like yeah. some minor inconvenience. Um, I really try to force myself to stop and think about how fortunate I am and how I got a, I have a bunch of uh, amazing people in my life and I get to do really cool things. And um, I just try to remind myself how lucky I am. And sometimes that can be, um, you know, very emotional. Depends on how many beers I've had. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I've always been the uh, the crown, crying your beer type. Um, and music always does it for me, too. Music is actually, I think for me personally, I, I wasn't intending on getting into this myself, but um, I think for me, music is, the, is oddly enough the thing that kind of usually does that for me. Because... Sometimes in some songs, and I don't think any of the songs on this record are, are a good example of that, but I know that there are some songs that I can listen to, and even if it's a happy song, it has an it it triggers an overwhelming like emotional response in me to it. Like, um, I, what's a good example of a like a happier song that fucks me up? <laughs> um, shit, I don't know, I don't know if I can think of one right now, but. Um, but sometimes, man, there's just like these like these choruses that that just kind of sneak up out of nowhere and just fucking floor me. Yeah, I, I find I'm I'm not a huge lyric person. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm in awe of people that can write really great lyrics, and obviously, I love I love great lyrics and songs. But for me, it's more about the music. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of most of my favorite songs or albums i i don't know what the lyrics mean and i don't care mm-hmm. right for me it's about the, the music the music um is where is what can bring me to tears sometimes mm-hmm. feeling hearing how beautiful an artist can craft something or how or, or or just the sound of their voice and how they're singing um not so much the lyrics yeah I agree um, with you. For, for for me, I find myself getting caught by like musical moments yeah. more, it, and, and it's also it's very hard for me to write lyrics. I am not a lyric writer. Um, it's painful for me. Mm-hmm. Like I will write a rough draft of lyrics and then never change it until I have to record it, and then I'm forcing myself to write lyrics. And sometimes they're good. Most of the time they're not. I'm mm. just I'm not a natural lyric writer. I never have been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know so. Um, 
trying to tell a story with songs. I am just not good at it. My, it, it sounds like maybe you should uh, incorporate the uh, synth clamor. Yeah, I think I should probably just, yeah, run everything through, and then, and then yeah. nobody can know what I'm singing. Some kind of probably. vocoder, yeah, just, right. <clears throat> just fuck your voice all up. <laughs> just make it the instrument, you know? Seriously. Um, all right, well, uh, let's move on to the next song, uh, Computer Age. Now we get to dive into the actual electronic element of this record. And this is where you really hear what this record's gonna do. God, I love it. That sound right here. That's worth. Yeah, that's, that's the shit. First of all, at the very end of the chorus is when it really he really, you, you see the full spectrum of like the way that he uses that synth yeah. flavor and like how he can hit that high high note. And um, and going into the next verse, you hear a little bit of the influence of this uh, of uh, of the craft like the craft work that they were getting into at the yeah. time. Yeah, this this is one of the tracks that I have to assume. And again, it's hard to find the, the, the deep details about the making of this record. It's, it's, well, it's, yeah. I, I have the Neil Young Bible, yeah, which I am referring to this evening. <laughs> so, to me, this song sounds like one of the tracks where he replaced a lot of stuff. Um, there's some guitar in there, mm -hmm. but that's an electronic drum beat, you know. Right. That's a synthesized bass line, possibly, but this song, more than some of the other, it seems like it was almost completely replaced with, with synthesizers. Yeah. So, um, so let's see, Computer Age, uh, according to Shaky, the uh, Neil Young's biography, which uh, I'm going to refer to as Neil Young's uh, Bible this evening. Uh, this is my only reference for, the, for tonight. <laughs> I only use this as a reference, basically. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to read this book. I've always okay. wanted to read this book, and I never have. So I'm I, I haven't read it either. Okay. I've only read this, uh, you know, the majority of the sections uh, based on on the album Trans, like this this era in 1982, and a little bit prior to that, you know, kind of leading up to mm -hmm. it. So uh, let's see what it, what he says here about Computer Age is. Uh, when we got the vocoder, we started listening to Kraftwerk said Briggs. Uh, all this would plunge Young in, in his weirdest direction yet, what would eventually become trans. Even a version of Mr. Soul complete with backward guitar got the, got the machine treatment. And the further Young got into the new music, the less company he took with it. Took with him, I'm sorry. Uh, trans started like we, like we do always, two guitars, bass, drums, said Poncho. Next thing we know, Neil stripped all, all our music off, overdubbed all this stuff, the vocoder, weird sequencing, and put the synth shit on it. <laughs> Briggs felt no one around Young tried to understand. Billy and Ralph and Poncho, all the other particip participants, they dismissed it. They played on the stuff, but they didn't. Th but they didn't like think it was music. <laughs> and these are a bunch of old. I mean, at this point, Neil Young's getting a little older, and yeah. his bandmates. Some of these guys are older than him, so you, mm -hmm. you gotta you gotta really. I mean, to be a fly on the wall, to see some of these crotchety old California rockers yeah. like who have never listened to any of this kind of music before and are much more traditionalists. Yeah. To hear this for the first time or, or to hear what Neil's doing, they got to be like, what the fuck is he doing? Oh, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they're very, they're very uh, uh, graphic about that in this book, the way that they, 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 you know, pull these quotes out of these guys where they're just like, they're very matter-of-fact 
And you can just tell that they're like no nonsense, and they're like, "This was the fucking stupidest thing ever." Like they have no, they have no shame, and it's really, it's really a great read. I will, I will oh, I read this. That. I will finish this adventure. I've had this for years, and I've never fucking got through uh, it. I, 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 I've been meaning to get this book forever. So all right. So now, it. computer age. Uh, what would you say would be one unlikely influence for you? For for me. Um... Like like an influence that you don't think anyone would would know that you were influenced by. No, that, that, that's hard to say. I think that what surprises most of my friends now, because I, I didn't know them as much back then, but, but knowing that I used to like uh, be a house DJ and mm-hmm. to be into electronic dance music and, you know, I had two turntables and a crate full of, full of you know, dance records and we would do parties. My, my, my band, The Fantastics, we also would DJ parties. So we would sometimes play a show, but then we'd sometimes just the five of us with DJ and and yeah and and we and I think that like whenever I remind my friends that I used to do that they're like are you fucking kidding me like you used to be a a techno DJ I was like I wasn't a very good one (laughs) and we were more into um you know deep house and stuff that was a little more funk and electro um stuff like that so there really wasn't anybody around here that wanted to hear the kind of records that we were playing you know we were like reading British DJ magazines, uh, like Mix Mag, <clears throat> and really listening to what I think is was really cool shit. But mm. around here, the, the the dance music scene was more about that rave, drum very, and bass very, stuff. very yes, yes, a lot of drum and bass. In those years, drum and bass had just like. And what you were doing was what more trip hop ish. We were doing more like deep house, probably okay. more like funkier deep house electro. Um, you know, uh, yeah, stuff that was a little more maybe jazz or whatever. But it was it was pretty eclectic. Mm. But it wasn't ravey. It wasn't techno. It wasn't like that real druggy late night rave techno because we weren't really into that either we were a bunch of dudes who drank beer and played guitars we just liked british dance music like Mm. you know british like club music and dance music so i think that you know i think about those kind of rhythms now when i'm writing and especially the new stuff that i'm working on now i'm using a lot of um classic drum machines i'm using an 808 and a lindrum oh nice and um so i'm really there's this bubbling sort of rhythmic analog round warm feel to some of the stuff that I'm doing but laying acoustic guitars and me singing over top of it and I think that you know I think that it'll be a little more evident the next record that I'm going to put out it's going to be it's going to have more elements of that Mm -hmm. in it but again whenever I like remind my friends or my girlfriend that I you know used to be a DJ like and like clubs and stuff they were like i can't believe you used to fucking do that and they're not really into that kind of music they're like fucking techno really that shit yeah. and i'm like no really there's there was some cool stuff man there really was some cool stuff. Yeah, i'm sure of it yeah i mean you, you gotta be you gotta be like neil young man you have to be willing to explore and experiment you know exactly exactly yeah man um with that being said let's move on into uh we are in control so this is where the record really dives into um, the Devo sounding yeah. sound, you know, and this lyrically, this song is kind of uh, very prescient. I mean, it was uh, it's, it almost predicts like a sort of neuromancer idea of society and 
government being controlled by automated hmm. computer networks. Let's 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 hear it. Yeah, it's great. Um, it kind of reminds me of, um, um, kind of reminds me of a wall, a little bit. Maybe the rhythm of it, maybe the kind of like apocalyptic kind of feel to it. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's a million miles away as far as like the theme of like, you know, hmm. uh, a, a somewhat dystopian or at least post-war society that's like, you know, kind of slowly being, having its humanity sucked out of it. Right. I think that what Neil is trying to thread here is that, like, you know, um, a sort of balancing between a song like this, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, like the computers yeah. are taking over, right? but also, like, accepting that that is, you know, possibly how we're going to achieve harmony and maybe maybe also a way to control some of the problems in, mm. in uh, that society has or the environment or, or maybe using... Looking at technology as a hopeful solution to some of the problems that we haven't been able to fix. Yeah, it's clear on this record that obviously he was accepting to the technology. He actually was one of the first people to ever buy this type of technology to make this record. Like uh, he spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on like the very first like kind of digital recording systems, and and then obviously the synthclaver and the vocoders that he used on these. And, um, and yeah, and the technology at the time wasn't great. And um, from what I, what I learned from the book is that when they tried to take it on tour, they ended up so far in debt. As a matter of fact, the I'll, I'll go ahead and mention this now. The, um, the trans tour that uh, in addition to buying all of that gear and spending all of that money on it, um, they embarked on a European tour to promote the record. Uh, they never toured this album in the U.S. minus like the tail end of the tour, okay. and it was like a couple of weird dates where he just kind of like did a couple of like acoustic renditions of these songs. I wasn't not... sure if he did a U.S. tour. No, he was so, basically yeah. trying to stay out of the U.S. during before this and then for this album. Like I think it was like the Reactor. Basically, as soon as he like signed to Geffen, he was just like, "I'm not doing any U.S. for now." But so they went on a European tour, and it ended up costing him. Their projected numbers for the tour were upwards of like two million, and he ultimately lost seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I think I one of the quotes I saw was that he lost seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars on that tour, and every show was sold out. Yes, yeah, and that's the weird thing, right? And like, I mean, and everyone was hating it. And, and, every, and everyone was hating. It. And because and the band fell apart because the band sucked. Like I mean, not not to say that these guys weren't good players, but they were just like a disaster in this state. Like they were they were all drinking too much. They were all drugging too much. They were they didn't love the music, and so maybe that had some Absolutely. effect on them. Like where they just kind of felt a little apathetic, and therefore maybe kind of dove into the the drinking a little bit more. Yeah. Than they normally would, but they were not feeling it. So and then of course the gear, the gear would sometimes fail. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, the, nightmare. The, it was a, it was the worst possible scenario that they could have ever. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of angry guys who are definitely like coming out of being 
alcoholics for most of the 70s mm-hmm. and recovering from the excesses of the 70s some better than others some not at all yeah and you know and and add on to that neil young getting increasingly angrier and angrier yeah. and his incredibly stressful um home situation with with, with his son and learning right. how to be do learning a whole new life um you can just imagine the mental t- i mean i can't imagine the mental and psychological toll Right. That had to take on him, the people that were working for him, yeah. the people that had to be around him. I oh, mean, this I'm book, sure man. Neil Young is a cool dude, but I can also imagine him being he like, flips out. the biggest asshole in the world. He 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 loses his cool <laughs> eventually. <laughs> yeah, it comes it comes out. Um, so as you were stating about this song, it's very tongue in cheek. It's very much like you know uh, the way that it's written seems like a pretty straightforward depiction of like you know. Um, automation control taking over uh, a little bit so um uh do you feel uh we will lose control to automation um matrix style you know like uh do you think the machines will win eventually i don't know i i think about that a lot it is pretty crazy how much we're handing over to especially when it comes to privacy Hmm. and i think that i think that that's something that maybe people couldn't imagine when they thought about future technology in the 70s and 80s is that um, you know social media was something that was largely unimagined you don't see a lot of people predicting that you see the the prediction of the internet and like uh, a network like a neuromancer Mm -hmm. Um, but the idea of social media and it being so all-encompassing you know, it's not until that happened that people had any idea that that could be something that exists. And, the, and, and now thinking that we're giving up so much privacy um, and the balance between whether that's a good thing um, or, or not, mm. uh, it's definitely something I think about. Um, but I, I, I don't know how to feel about that. I'm not, I don't think that I'm quite smart enough to know whether it's, we're headed for a problem or whether technology can be the solution to a lot of our problems. I think it just depends on who's in control of it and who's in in charge of of wielding it. All right. Well, well, here's, here's the real bad question. What about AI? It's, it's insane to think about that because (laughs) it just seems like every year, you know, it gets crazier with Mm -hmm. these like deep fake videos that you see that are almost to the point where they're so convincingly good. I mean, I, I think almost is probably even being naive. They're at the point where some of these deep fake videos would probably fool me. Yeah. If you showed me a video that was super, the most cutting edge technology of deep, deep fake of some recognizable famous person or politician yeah. saying something and it wasn't real, it was completely you know, fabricated, to the extent of how good that technology is, it, it would probably fool me. What about machines, though, that are that are being sentient and that are like free thinking? It's like it's, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the of the machine of the of the android that they had built, but that it's it's got AI technology, and so not only does it look like a human, and they've created the the features of the face, but it you can ask it anything, and in real time, it'll answer you back in in, in its own personal responses. You know. It's so crazy and bizarre. But again, I think that that could be 
depending on who wields that technology, it... Yeah, but, but it's already created. It's now a free-thinking, sentient thing. So how much well, we're, time? We're doomed. So I how think much? We're probably doomed. How much time before that thing says, "Oh, I know how to build my own body now." So now I'm going to create my <laughs> arms, and now I'm going to help. You know, I'll, I'll find some way to build myself up further, develop my army, oh, and God. kill all of these things. I thought this was going to be like a fun podcast. <laughs> no, it is fun. I mean, Listen, I don't give a shit. We're I'm doing starting, fine. I'm starting to really freak out. Oh, there's only one so far. I think there's only one so far. Yeah, no, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary as shit. It's scary as shit to, to know that, you know, in our lifetime, hmm. we're going to see some crazy shit. We've already seen some crazy shit, but we're going to see walking, talking androids that are convincingly human. Hmm. And the first time I see that, I'm going to lose my shit. And we're going to want to have sex with these things. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's good. And then we're gonna be. It'll, it'll, it all comes down to. For, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're gonna end up in the bedroom yeah. and be like, "Oh no! Wait, wait! You're what?" <laughs> Everything new that gets invented, someone wants to fuck it. I mean, yeah, it's true. I think that's the purpose that they've created them, really, right? Right? Isn't that? And if that helps some people to, um, enjoy pleasure, enjoy life, and if it's something that is beneficial to people who need that therapeutically or just need that fulfilled in their life then great hmm. again i think it all comes down to how the technology is wielded and whether it's uh, used for good or for bad and it'll almost always be used for money making purposes oh absolutely uh, and <laughs> whether it's like yeah whether it's and i think that i think that what will obviously happen is that it'll be both it's already that that kind of already is happening now and there's no reason to believe that it's not just going to sort of stay that way People will use technology for good, and people will use it for bad, and it's going to exa- it's going to happen at the same time. And you can focus on both, or one or the other, and mm. you know. Right. I guess only it depends on how you want to participate in it. Really, do you want to participate in the capitalism of it, or do you want to participate in the activism of exactly. it? Exactly. Or do you just want to fuck it? I mean. Or, or yeah, or just fuck it. I mean, that's yeah, that's the easier that. way to go. <laughs> fuck it. But yeah. It, that's your choice. Do you That's want do you choice. want to fuck it or do you want it to fuck you? Yes, you either <laughs> fuck or get fucked. Yeah. Yes. That's what that's what it's uh, synthesizes down to for us all all the time in uh, all circumstances really. All right, let's uh, move on to uh oh, thank God. Transformer Man. It's just beautiful. This is like I, I think that this song was 100% what he was going for and right. what he 100% wanted this to sound like. All right. Let's take a listen to it. This record, this song is beautiful musically. The, the lyrics are beautiful. This song is about his son Ben. Ben is the Transformer Man, right. um, and it is just a really touching uh, love song to his son and how he's how much his son means to him and how much he, you know. And his struggle with yeah with learning how to 
I don't I don't want to say socialize with his son, but uh, but to communicate with him and to essentially just be with him. Yeah. Um, the lyric, unlock the secrets, let us <clears throat> throw off the chains that hold you down. And it's got to be Neil trying to, you know, find a way for his son to live the most normal and typical life for, for, for a person um, free of his, you know, his disability and mm. the, the, the pain and discomfort that, that must go along with that. Oh, yeah. It's just incredibly touching. It's an incredibly beautiful love song to someone's child. No. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. So you're you're already like touching on everything that I, I'm basically supposed to be saying. Um, I was thinking about this song, and uh, for my notes for this song was basically that I said I, I was I think the song is the epitome of the album. Um, even how I was joking with like the first song, you know, the little thing called love, and and even in Computer Age, where there's themes of like you know this love that he's singing about. Mm-hmm. I think realistically he's singing about his song love the way that he sings about it, it pertains to the love for his child more so than the love for a, a lover i think throughout this album i i think so too i think that you know this record um can be thought of as being lyrically cold mm-hmm. and sort of calculating or at least at the very least envisioning a soulless future mm. but um this song really does more so than the two other songs that both have love in the title mm-hmm. um you know uh this song really does get to the heart of i think that what he was trying to deal with and i think it's it's impossible to not be touched by these lyrics whether you, whether you are adhering to what they're the, they're about you know a father's love for his son or whether it's how you feel about someone in your life that mm. you love i mean every morning when i look in your eyes i feel electrified by you mm. and that is you know such a great lyric and i think that i would you know everyone at some point in their life would hope to feel that way about someone or yeah or, or yeah others. i think that 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 lyric specifically because that one really hits me um I have, a, I have a child with a disability, and I feel like I understand the struggle. I mean, my struggle isn't as nearly as drastic as, as Neil Young's with his son, Ben, but, um, but it, it definitely affects me. And I, and I think I've been thinking about it constantly since, uh, since I've been reading about this, this album and this song. Um, it's, uh, it's really, it's really fucking frustrating. Um, it, and the more that I learned, you know, about this record, um, it made me, yeah, it, it I, I understand that. I, I, I work with, my day job is I work with, with folks with developmental disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I've, over the years, I've worked with a lot of folks who are nonverbal and were not able to express what they're feeling and what they want and what they're thinking and whether they're hungry, whether they're in pain. And, you know, it's hard as... Uh, their 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 care their staff to to to, right. to just want to help them. I can only imagine what it must feel like as a parent of someone with with developmental disabilities, or you just you want so much to fix everything. Hmm. And you know, l- learning about how this was Neil Young's way to communicate with his son through this weird sounding technology it's it you know i 
yeah, I, I think it's incredible. And mm. it really makes me think about aspects of my work where I've struggled to communicate with folks that I've been trying to, to care for, you know. Yeah. It can be yeah. very hard, yeah. I don't know. With you working in that environment, like, you don't have any children, right? You know? I don't. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a question for you because I, I don't really want to go into it because it's, it's actually probably going to be a little rough for me. <laughs> um, the, where I work and uh, the, the two companies that I've worked for that, that, that work with uh, these individuals have always been um, art and music based. Oh, okay. And what has been incredible um, is, to, is to be able to reach some of these folks who nobody has been able to reach them any other way hmm. except through music and art. Yeah. Um, uh, I used to work at RHD up in Pawtucket for many years. Now I work for um, a company called Avatar, and we're very much um, art and music and em emotions-based. I don't know. Therapy. What it's called therapy. I guess I'm not a yeah. therapist, but what we, you know, but but like I mean, it's a, it's a therapy, like kind of like physical therapy, you know. We've been able to reach and 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 you know try to teach some of our folks so much more about life through music and art hmm. and being in uh, bands with these folks and writing music with them. It's, it's kind of what we do. Yeah. Um, I, in so many in instances, not just with folks who are nonverbal, but, um, of, of, of all across the spectrum of, 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 of folks who have, um, you know, um, that developmental disabilities that we work with, music and art is what almost never fails to reach them. Hmm. You know, um, getting them to think about music and getting them to perform and to write and to sing or to play or to bang on a drum or to bang on a guitar. Yeah. Um, there's almost nothing that reaches them like that. You know, it, it cuts through everything. Hmm. It cuts through so so much of the difficulties that they have connecting to um society around them especially folks with autism mm -hmm. um and i've i've had the privilege of working with uh, you know a bunch of folks who who are autistic and you know what the way to reach them and the way to communicate them is almost always music and movies they love and yeah comic books and the art like yeah. that is you know art and music cuts through cuts through everything i think mm. and learning more about how this record was made it, it means a lot to me yeah. yeah okay that's great i mean it's very i i uh appreciate and thank you for your work i think that uh, what you do is is exceptional well there's you know I, I there's a lot of people that do this work and they're it's it can be hard and, and, yeah. and I, I work with a lot of great people and i've i've learned a lot from them over the years, you know, people mm. have been doing it for a lot longer than I have, and um, you know, it, it can be tough. But I work for some great people, and yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. <clears throat> um, let's move on to uh, Computer Cowboy. Yeah, uh, this is a funny one. Yeah. 
that's a, that's a dirty riff. It really is. It's like disco <laughs> grunge, you know? It's, it's so cool. You can definitely tell that as much as he... As much as, you know, the, the Crazy Horse guys feel like they were erased from this record, like, they, uh... There, there's there's that stuff on there, you know? Mm. The stuff is on there. I mean, I think it was that one song specifically that, that he had kind of, like, overdubbed the band um, or, or you know, reworked it so that they were kind of out of it. But, uh, but no, they're, they're definitely there. And in this song in particular, I think that this is probably the strongest representation of the band at their, at their best and, and their dirtiest and rockingest. Um, so not much to say about it because you know as we were as you have already mentioned kind of it's a very cut and dry depiction of what seems to be a essentially a real android cowboy thing some kind of new technology thing this this idea of these uh, massive computing uh, programming things that that are still incorporated into uh, things such as farming um, there's got to be some person some team you know the computer types that uh, that delve into this work long hours and kind of sit behind a computer screen for, for hours at a time uh, bear with me this might be a little strange but uh, considering somebody that works on a computer that much and that is that essentially I think is the computer cowboy in theory, of as far as that this song is concerned, uh, with your interest in UFOs, how much of a computer cowboy are you? <laughs> um, I'm really bad at computers. Um, I, you know, I know like the bare minimum. Of but you computers. use it for the, your research, I'm presuming. I do, and I have, um, but really only for, um, really only for research purposes. Um, when I was working for an organization and doing actual um, UFO investigations, really it was just. Um, you know, interviewing the person one-on-one or over the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But, you know, there were aspects of using um, technology to sort of investigate a a case. Like there is um, sky-watching apps that you can, um, let's say, uh, and I did this a handful of times, let's say someone saw something in the sky uh, uh, that they couldn't identify, and they knew exactly what about what time and the date. You know, there's any sky watching app. You can sort of um, scroll back to that date, that time, point your phone at the sky, and it will show you exactly what was in the sky at that time. What? Um, <laughs> and I was able to um, debunk or at least you know disprove a lot of UFO. Maybe not a lot, a few, by using an app like that, uh, just because I was able to say, no, you were, you were seeing Venus, you know, or you were seeing Sky a comet, or you were seeing a satellite. Okay. Um, sat, you know, satellites are all tracked in these apps too. So there was at least two different cases that I had worked on that um, I, I I really think that the people. The, the witnesses had seen a satellite uh, moving. Satellites are very tiny hmm. pricks of light in the sky that move pretty fast, and they can be weird looking if you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, your brain can tell that that's too high up to be a plane. Right. Um, but if you don't know that you're able to see satellites, especially on like a really, I, I, like I didn't know that when I was younger or up until you know 
when I learned about this, like, I didn't realize that you could occasionally see satellites. Um, I just figured they were too small and too yeah. far away. Okay. But if you're somewhere where it's dark enough and the satellite is bright enough, um, you, you can see it. You yeah. can also see um, old like rocket wreckage, um, which is all tracked by these apps. And uh, one of the cases I had worked on a bunch of years ago, um, I, I was pretty confident in identifying it is what they were seeing is like a, the fuselage of an old a Russian satellite rocket um, d- delivery yeah, rocket. Okay. So all of the space junk is tracked by... Yeah, and there's uh, lots of it. And there's lots of it. And it's a, there's a scary amount of space junk right now. In our orbit. There is a scary amount. And it's, it's like If that... you ever read... If you ever yeah. want to scare yourself, read about how much... There's going to be a point in the next 5, 10, 20 years where we have to do something about it because it's going to be a danger to anything that we launch. Right. Or... Yeah, because even now they have, like, the trajectory that they have to calculate it's, for yeah. anything to exit our, our stratosphere into space has to dodge all of this fucking debris that's floating around. Yeah, there's <laughs> it, there's a scary amount of space junk up there, and yeah. it's going to have to be dealt with someday. You know, it's funny. I I didn't real I didn't know anything about the satellites either until um, just this past summer uh, before COVID. It was the I guess it was last summer. Um, I was trying to uh, utilize the uh, free um, observation tower at. Uh, at uh, CCRI, yeah, with Brendan Britton. Yep, Brendan. Yeah, Brendan Britton is is the professor over there, mm-hmm. and so he was hosting these free sessions. Was at it the at Frosty Drew or was it at? It was at CCRI. At CCRI, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and so I was taking the kids there, and it's a great thing to do for an hour. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, we saw a satellite one night when we were there, mm-hmm. and he pointed it out to us. He was just like, "Well, look at this thing. It's like, it's, you know, kind of whizzing by." And, they move uh, fast yeah, is the yeah. thing. And I think that people, when, when they see that, because they don't, a lot of people don't realize you can see satellites, it's moving so fast that they're like, what the hell is that? You right. know? So it can, be a, it can be a weird thing to see. Yeah. Because you're not expecting to see, you're not expecting that. You no, no. I, I, I had no idea. I and mean, it just happened to be that night we were out there and luckily, you know, Brendan was there to kind of, you know, pinpoint it for us and then just let us know what it was. Yeah, he's know? great. Yeah, he's great. Absolutely. Um, so have you had any encounters you with UFOs? No, I don't. I, I, there was only one time that me and my roommate, uh, Bill, who was in a bunch of my bands back then, we thought we saw a UFO. We lived on the east side. We lived um, on Armstrong Street down by Wickenden Street. Mm. And out our window, we saw this like light like just a pin point of light but it was darting around the sky so we went outside and we crossed the um footbridge at, at india point park uh-huh. okay this is you know years ago back when it was like the tiny little footbridge now yeah. it's this big like bike path or whatever yeah um and we went over and stood at the end of it and there was this light in the sky that just was like literally bouncing from one end of the sky to the other Right. And it was just moving too fast to be anything. And it only lasted for a couple minutes, maybe not even a minute from when we saw it 
went outside, saw it again, and it was just, and then it was gone, and we were like, well, that was fucking weird. But mm. that's the only time, and I don't even consider that, I don't consider that a UFO sighting. Um, it was a weird thing that I couldn't explain. We didn't know what it was. Right. But usually when people ask me if I've ever seen a UFO, I say no, because I've... You don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, but also I, I don't even consider that to be that good a one, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, so what do you think about the current, like, state of, of uh, the world as far as the declaration of UFOs being real? It's pretty crazy. Um, when, when that story came out in 2017 uh, that was in, like, the Washington Post and the Politico about um, the fact that it was confirming that, uh, you know, the U.S. government had been funding... A program that was at least somewhat tracking UFO sightings. I mean, that was a huge confirmation for people who had always suspected and insisted that our government was doing something about UFOs because mm -hmm. for years and years and years, forever, our government and like, you know, the Air Force and the Navy and the Army were always like, we don't take that shit seriously. Tonight, like, right? we don't, we don't, the, prior to this, you know, the Air Force would want you to believe that they don't even rec keep track of it. Like, they don't even record it. Yeah. Like, they just don't take it seriously. And nobody believed that because there's just the sheer amount of sightings mm. are... There's just so many people seeing UFOs. If 90% of them are completely made up, which is insane to think that, but if 90% of them are just fabricated by the people that are reporting them, that still leaves thousands of UFO sightings a year. And often by people who are what I would consider credible witnesses, airline pilots, you know, um, people who are high-tech military folks, people who are like trained to know what they're looking at in the sky. Like, right. I think that a lot of time there's like this sort of a myth or a joke that the only people that see UFOs are like, you know, country bumpkins on their farm. Right. But really, so many UFOs have been reported all over the world, not just in the United States, by like generals, Air Force pilots, commercial pilots. I mean, these are people that like, I trust them to like fly a plane when I go on vacation. So like, if they say that they saw something weird, yeah. like I'm gonna believe these people because first of all, they, uh, they almost always lose their job by saying that they saw a UFO, like a commercial airline pilot. Even now, when it's a little more accepted in the last couple years, and it's kind of becoming like cool and accepted in society to like be someone like an airline pilot yeah. and claim you saw a UFO. But historically, airline, a commercial airline pilot for United Airlines is not gonna tell anybody they saw, he's not gonna tell their boss they saw a UFO, they might get fired, you know? <laughs> like. Some Air Force, like, F-16 pilot, some high-tech fucking pilot in the, in the, in the Air Force, they're not going to tell their, their superior officer they saw a UFO. Yeah. They're fucking benched, right. you know? So, like, yeah. when these people come forward and say that they've seen this shit, like, I believe them because it's their career. Like, mm. they're committing career suicide right. by, by admitting or, or wanting to talk about stuff like that. So I mm. think that that's kind of fascinating. I think it's really crazy that we've got this confirmation that um, our government is um, was funding us minor, like like and by funding they were giving basically nothing like I think the budget was like 22 million dollars 
over the course of seven years. Like for oh, our government, that is like that might as well be zero, but <laughs> it was something. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting stuff. All right. So we have uh, made it to side two. Let's get into side two a little bit. So side two opens up with another um, acoustic, countryish, folky, classic Neil Young sounding thing. And this right. was one of the other songs that was going to be on the, the, the rejected the Island of the, Islands Island of the Sun. Sun. Yeah. And again, it's, uh, it's a Neil Young acoustic love song. Well, you know what? I'm going to skip that song. It's okay. I feel like if people want to get it, listen to it on their own, cool. But but yeah, yeah. but but yeah, it's not. I don't want to say it's not worth listening because I don't want to be that. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't say that. It's just that um, you, you know, I don't want to. We're running a little bit short on time, and um, I figure that's a good song to skip because it's just not even a really interesting one. The, the the only song that's left that really matters on this record, in my opinion, is Sample and Holt. Okay. And that is a really long song. First of all, I think it clocks in at like seven or eight minutes on the vinyl version. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it's that long on the vinyl. Maybe the digital release, they did like an unedited version. But this is the last song on the record that is um, heavy electronic synthesizer. And it's got almost like a, an industrial feel to it. It's almost like he's yeah. sort of channeling like 80s ministry in a way and oh yeah it's eight minutes and four seconds oh yeah okay so it's really all right well let's uh, let's put it on for a little bit i'm, I'm bound to catch it seeing seeing how long it is Oh, that's weird. Oh, oh, fucking exciting! This, um, this is different than the digital release. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how different because we've only just listened to a very small section of this song, but um, I think I heard about that. About there was a couple of, I guess, I guess a couple of songs because I think it's, I guess it's this one. And then possibly uh, the last song, Like an Inca, that were slightly different mixes. Like, as a matter of fact, uh, I guess Like an Inca was, um, they had sh they had shortened it down. They had kind of cut it down. Yeah, maybe that's the one I'm thinking of that they, that they, they did. Yeah, it, it's got, it's, it's a shorter version on the record. But yeah. Because, yeah, I know that the version of Sample and Hold, that, you know, the digital version, right. is like, it's a pretty long song. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, so... You know, only up until recently, when they released the album digitally, did they release like an Inca in its entirety. In its, in its full, yeah. yeah. So I'm five. Yeah, I've probably been listening Weird. to the full one. Yeah. Now this looks like a long track on this record. I mean, the vinyl of it. I mean, the last track looks substantial. For like an Inca, yeah. So maybe, uh, yeah, huh. I'm not sure. Oh, I, 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 we're not going to listen to the whole thing, unfortunately, but I'd, I'd like to <laughs> at some point. <laughs> All right, so sample and holy, just listen to a little bit of it. Um, Kind of cool. So the the I have the I have it right here in the book in front of me. Uh, sample and hold a wry lyric about designing a new mate is uh, I guess the uh, essence of it was uh, partially inspired by Young's burgeoning work with toy trains. So um, where's the quote here in the story? 
Yeah, plunging into all the technical jargon, obviously colored the lyrics of Trans, uh, Trentino, which is one of the people he hired to, to uh, work on his mm-hmm. train sets, recalls work on a digital system for controlling the speed of trains. Uh, quote, we were talking sample and hold, sample and hold. Next thing I knew, there was a song. Um, so I've, I've heard two different explanations for the lyrics. One of them is that it's about a person ordering a robotic sex toy. But okay. the other weird, the other uh, uh, lyrical explanation is that it's uh, when um, robots looking for mates, like sentient androids. Okay, I think that's what. It, right. So I've kind of heard it described um, both both ways. Um, okay. they're, they're both terrifyingly weird, and <laughs> um, again, kind of like a, a very tongue in cheek and very funny, like you know. Yeah. Okay, well, that's funny too. I mean, that's kind of what it says here in the book about that, uh, just uh, a wry lyric about designing a new mate. Um, But considering it was based, or like, you know, it was informed by the process of like, you know, building these, uh, this Troy train set, um, I have to ask, uh, I already know about one of your obsessions. I feel like the the UFO research is one of your obsessions. Um, So what was your favorite toy growing up? Man, well, I was a kid of the 80s, so definitely, oh, probably Transformers. I That's mean, come perfect. on. I mean, that was my, that was my shit. I mean, I loved the bad, real, the real metal ones. The real ones. They were the first, fucking legit the metal. The first generation, the ones that were like heavy. Uh, yeah. Like that and like, that and like G.I. Joe was what me and my friends did. Like, I yeah. loved that whole world, that whole universe. And so liked, as an adult what do you think you'd get back into if you wanted to or are you dabbling in toys now no i um i i know people who are like still toy collectors and i yeah. don't think it's anything i can get into like um, funkos or so stupid um, shit yeah i just don't i don't i don't get like i i i get it and it's cool um i for a little while when i uh a couple years ago i was collecting um fuzz pedals and uh that became expensive so I was just buying like tons of guitar fuzz pedals, like these oh, yeah. boutique pedals that were like, you know, $100 each. I had to curb that for a little bit because I was like just ordering too many of them. And yeah. I have like a huge crate of them now, but um, I could get some more. I guess I could get some more, you know? You can always get more. Yeah. Sure. I'm not a big toy or, or a collector person. Um, I don't really collect records. Um I love music, but I don't, like, collect records the way some of my friends do, the way Kevin does, like, and I, it's strange that I don't, because I love music, but to me, the, the, the it's just not something I do, I don't, I don't collect books, but I'm a, I'm a reader, like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't like having a lot of stuff, I guess I don't, right. I'm not a stuff guy, but now, but I am kind of starting to collect, like, like I said, like, Instruments. Guitar pedals, some gear, yeah. stuff like that. If there's anything that I'm probably spending well, too much a, money on. Well, there's a there's a use now. in that. See, there's no not really a use behind a record or a book. The use is to 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 absorb the information. Yeah. And yeah. you can absorb the information however you want these days. There's no essential need to own the physical item. Right. But I will. I do always prefer a book copy than like. I for a while I was getting into getting a lot of Kindle books. Oh yeah. And I've read a ton of books on Kindle, but um, I love lending my books out. Yeah. So, like, to me, I would rather just buy, like, a cheap paperback of something and then, mm-hmm. like, give it to someone. And then if I never get it back, then cool. Right. You can't do that with a Kindle. Um, like, I like to share books and, you know, like the way that my friends like to share records. And 
uh, yeah, for so to me, like, not that I collect books, but I, I, I will, I'll buy a book just to have it, just to know that I'm going to give it to someone someday. Okay. You know? You like sci-fi? Yeah, I'm a big sci-fi reader. I have been my whole life, and I've been trying, you know, if there's one thing that I try to collect a lot of, it's like, just sort of paperback versions of, Hmm. of, of, of stuff that I've. Okay. All right. I might have some stuff for you. Oh, shit. (laughs) You like, do you like, you like Dune? No, it's not that I like this stuff. It's just that, you know, well, I think I have some and I I might be able to hand over a couple to you. Oh shit. All right. I mean, we could talk about Dune for five hours if you want. No, no, we're not. not All right. So, so this is what Dune is about. Um, No, that's a different podcast altogether. Um, All right. So that was Sample and Hold. Let's get on to uh, Mr. Soul. Yeah. So. Sample and Hold is the other sort of centerpiece, I think, of this record. I mm-hmm. think Transformer Man and Sample and Hold kind of like hold it together. It's mm. the two songs that I think personally sound 100% his vision. You know, like I think that those two songs, like, like yeah. they're 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 just they're they're really incredible sounding. Um, they're mixed really well. They sound great on the record. And those two records, those two songs on each side, sort of hold the thing together. After this is a weird cover of um, Mr. Soul um, that he did with uh, Buffalo Springfield. And everyone kind of knows Mr. Soul. And I think he also did Mr. Soul on uh, his Unplugged performance. I I don't remember. I'm pretty sure that was one of the songs on that. The original version's great. I mean, Buffalo Springfield is amazing. I mean, it's it's much different Neil Young stuff, but you can really hear his influence in that stuff and it's a great song Mm -hmm. and this version of it is like a very puzzling reworking of it that is just synthesizer and drum machines and right all right well let's let's give it a shot let's uh, listen to a little bit of it It's just so cool sounding. Oh, I happen to catch the end of it. It's pretty short. Yeah. So there was a um, a demoed recording of this song. It was originally recorded on a 12-string guitar. Um, and that version of it was never recorded. Like back from the Buffalo Springfield days? Yeah, yeah. Back uh, originally uh, in, uh, what is this? I think this is 66. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Written on a 12-string acoustic, the original version of Mr. Soul, Circle of Fall, 1966, was, according to those who heard it, a slow, moody folk number with a dark edge intensified by Young's uh, D-modal tuning. Yeah, it's in drop D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I guess it was kind of similar to uh, other songs around that time that he had written, uh, Ohio, When You Dance, Cinnamon mm-hmm. Girl, and Don't Let It Bring You Down. Yeah, all those songs are, yeah, drop D, like, yeah. So he originally recorded this song like that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and you're right, uh, almost three years later, Young would open his unplugged taping with Mr. Soul. Mm, yeah. So it opened with Mr. Soul. Oh, okay. it, didn't, it didn't open with, uh, Interesting. what was the other one you said? Transformer, Transformer Man. Man. I, yeah. I, in my mind, that was the first song. But yeah, actually, now that you say that, yeah, I do remember that that... I'll have to go back to it. I don't remember that performance at all. It's been a while since I've watched it or listened to it. And I know that yeah. a lot of times when, when, when the artists like release those as records, they change the track listing. So there's something here. There's something that's very strange about this. Um, 
so Neil Young went through some kind of like mental breakdown, right? Early on, like after like uh, early uh, early fame. Before, like before, uh, right after, right after Buffalo Springfield and before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I, his solo yeah, career. I definitely read about that. That he sort of like that was one of the reasons for him um, leaving Buffalo Springfield and. Oh my god. <laughs> so, uh, I, I can't, I can't, uh, elaborate on the, uh, the, the, the entire story, but just this excerpt right here was, uh, Young was in the hospital for 10 days during which a battery of tests was run, including, according to Charlie Green, one procedure, one procedure where they opened his skull. Oh, wow. Quote, I'll never forget it. They drilled a fucking hole in his head to re release pressure. Um... Yeah. <laughs> that that's what really sucks. So, um where did we leave off here? We left off at uh we were going to we played Mr. Soul already. Played Mr. Soul and then the last song is oh, yeah. Like an Inca. Yeah, let's get into Like an Inca. This is the third song that is from the Rejected Islands in the Sun record. And I'm pretty sure that he ended up redoing this song in a it, it, just acoustically um, on a release that came out not too long ago. Neil Young's yes. been releasing some stuff. I think it was on Hitchhiker. Hitchhiker. Was it on Hitchhiker? Okay. Yep. And there's like a solo acoustic. And that that version of the song, I think, just makes... He's older. He's singing a little differently. I, I like that a lot more than yeah. this version of the, it. Um, so, so the mythology behind that release, Hitchhiker, which actually came out in 2017, was that um, he was... He, he recorded it by himself and in one evening under a full moonlight and uh and just basically ran through all these songs and this one being one of them but it was called hitchhiker at the time i knew that the song was like an inca but yeah called something else and that hitchhiker record is really cool so hitchhiker yes um album was called hitchhiker the song was well this was recorded in uh 77 so it was before this album, it was before Trans, therefore he changed it to Like an Inca. Yeah, he must have either changed the title or... Yeah, there was actually a lot of words that were changed too. I haven't given this newer, rec or this newly discovered recording a very good listen. Um, I did discover some lyrics um, from a fan page, from a fan lyric page, that says that uh, the lyrics on the original, which I guess that what's what that release was the original, uh, was a lot more introspective and kind of like had a lot of a deeper kind of meaning than what this version is like. So uh, let's get into this version a little bit. This is different from the digital. I have to assume that that's Nils Lofgren ripping that sweet solo. It's not Neil Young. 
<laughs> yeah, I can tell. The style is different. You can you can actually hear it. Um, yeah, so this song, a little more silly. I mean, to, to lyrically me the, speaking... To me, the lyrics seem to almost be about more um, con- uh, uh, ecology and conservation and sort of... Um, maybe thinking about climate change and stuff like that. I mm. think the first couple lines are about, the first couple lyrics are about, um, they seem to be about a changing environment. At least that's the message. Oh, right. Uh, okay. That's the message I get from this song, that it seems to be about, um, you know, whatever in, whatever in the early 80s they were call, calling or thinking about, climate change or global warming or at least changing environments it seems like neil is trying to write a little something about that but this song was originally intended to be on that islands in the sun record which was kind of a sunny island vibe record mm-hmm. that got rejected it, it it's curious to me that whatever that record sounded like um got rejected and then neil offered them this record, something that was probably in their, the label's mind, even more horrible sounding. You know, like, they were probably were thinking, we probably should have just bought that Island record from him. We probably should have just put out the Island record. Yeah. He gave us this fucking trans bullshit. Um, and then the other thing about trans that's funny is, like, the, the mythology is that this is the record that um, caused his record label to sue him for not sounding enough like himself. But really, that's the record after this one, Everybody's Rockin'. Oh, yeah. After he put out Trans, uh, David Geffen was like, all right, you need to give me a fucking rock and roll record. So he put out this incredibly, like, not serious 50s sort of rockabilly record mm-hmm. that was even... In the, in the label's mind, even worse than trans. Right. Um, and didn't was, was even less commercially viable. Right. Um, and it was that record that caused Geffen to sue Neil Young for not sounding enough like Neil Young. Right. Which well, he won. Neil Young won that. Oh, okay. In, that impending, like, he... Um, yeah, he, he came out the victor in the end of all of these yeah. court proceedings, but... And stayed on Geffen Records, like stayed on the label, I believe, for for a while afterwards. But I'm sure he had some re- repaying to do, because um, so, you, you know that how how he he kind of eventually agreed to sign to that that label. I don't know if I know that. So Geffen was starting the label, um, and Neil Young was one of the artists that he approached first, and he basically made it the sweetest deal he could by offering a million dollar deal. And complete creative control, and complete I believe, creative which control. is how Gavin ended up losing the lawsuit because they decided that well, you you gave him complete creative control. You have no yeah, that makes sense. Say over what these records absolutely sound like. yeah. <laughs> but so he was so so Geffen was feeling a lot of pressure because you know this was a new endeavor for him. I yeah. mean, he had he had been in the business before, but this was his his baby yeah. to kind of create this label. I mean, he's he's doing fine now. So. Fucking, it's yeah, not really he, that big of a deal. Yeah, David Geffen. <laughs> like, nobody needs to worry about David but, Geffen. So there was five he's artists, great. I think, that he signed at once. I think and Joni he gave, Mitchell was one of them. I think Joni Mitchell might have been part it? of the yes. roster. Yes, because she, she also did the same did thing. weird. Right, where she put out <laughs> records that just were not commercially viable. Um, Elton John and Donna oh, okay. Summers oh, all right. were all part of this 
this initial deal where he offered them all a million dollar contract. Wow. And all like almost, I don't think any of them may do like yeah, and, and turned mean, into like a good solid record. I mean, what would have been that Elton John record like from the early eighties? Uh, I can't remember. Not, I would have been really an Elton John not, fan. I, I do not like Elton John, but like yeah. I can't even imagine what record that would have been. Yeah, I, I don't think Elton. From from my own guessing, uh, Elton John probably did not intend to make a bomb, but I think he did bomb, and then it just compiled on Dave Geffen, where he was just like, these fucking artists are yeah. all fucking me. Yeah, right, right, right. And I think that Joni Mitchell delivered, like, a very adult contemporary. Like, she kind of mm. took a kind of a hard turn towards, like, adult, smooth, acoustic, adult contemporary stuff. And for some reason, even though you would think that that was what would strike gold for people who like that kind of music, I think it just didn't work for her. No, at the time. I guess not. It doesn't sound like it worked for anybody. How did Geffen... No. I mean, this is the to... 80s, too. Yeah. Early 80s. That was just a bad time for music. You know? Pop music in the was 80s was not great. time for music. Yeah. yeah. Weird time, because so much was changing, and nobody knew what the next thing was going to be. Like, right. obviously, synth pop and synthesizers and dance music and Michael Jackson and stuff like that but not everybody had one of those artists on their label so everybody was looking for mm-hmm. who's going to be my someone like david geffen was got to be thinking okay who's going to be my like rock right. or my 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 anchor of like this folk rock who's going to be my anchor for whatever it is that well, i think he also saw Hey, these guys are also are already huge producers. And these people are also having. They were a huge... probably all leaving. They were probably all getting out of record contracts that had expired, so they were yeah. all ready to like jump to a new label, get right. more creative control, get more money, and do what they want because they probably had fulfilled their contracts with other labels. And then Geffen comes along and says, "I'll give you complete creative control, and here's a million dollars. Just don't give me something that sounds like trance." And then he Neil didn't know Young, that. He didn't know that at the time. Yeah, Neil Young was like, "How about I record a record that sounds exactly like Trans?" And it's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, I will put your, I will put Kevin's record away very nicely so that <laughs> it's not damaged at all. Thank you, Kevin. This is a great record, and uh, we're gonna have to get together at some point and listen to the entire thing because um, it's a little different than the the digital release, you know, and and yeah. it's. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it in its uh, in its original form. Um, so, in closing, I'd like to know you were touching on it now a little earlier. Your latest release, "Glowing Cloud." You were saying something about how getting a new record ready. Yeah, I think <clears throat> that what I had decided to do uh, when I built or, you know, was starting to cobble together my home recording studio last summer, I think that at first my idea was was to create make a full-length record. Mm-hmm. And because I just kind of assumed that that's what I wanted to do. But the more I worked on it and the more I just couldn't decide on what I wanted stuff to sound like or whether I wanted to... I, I just decided to sort of... Um, change tack a little bit and instead of spending months and months if not a year on like a 10 12 13 song record just put out short eps Mm -hmm. throughout the year 
that way they're kind of quick and immediate. It's sort of whatever I'm feeling like at the time. It's if, if um, they're a little, yeah, they're a little more immediate and I don't have to like belabor it. I don't have to, you know, fucking redo the track order 900 times. Like, you know, I, I, putting out a, a full length record is a lot of work. And yeah. just a couple years ago, my band Sweet Dreams put out a record and it was a short record there's only six six seven songs on it but you know that was a lot of work and it took us forever to do um so i just kind of thought that you know instead of trying to do full lengths let's just i'm going to just do or at least my plan is is to do three or four eps throughout the year mm-hmm. you know so my so this first one that i put out um about a month and a half ago um all my psychic children is three songs. It's pretty short. The songs are short. You know, mm-hmm. it's not very long. I think it's I think it's eight minutes long. <laughs> you know, um, and then this next one that I'm working on, and I think I've got the songs pretty much fleshed out. I'm just finishing them up. Um, is going to be three or maybe four songs, but again, shorter. And I just I I, I kind of like the idea of putting out little EPs or. You know, yeah. I just, I like that because it just, it keeps it kind of fresh. Um, I don't have to like belabor a 12 song thing. And yeah. and ha- it's, it, 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 when you try to put out a full length or something that big, unless you're just really cranking out the songs and cranking out material, it's, it can be overwhelming, you know? Like mm. I find like, I, 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 I can't think that big right now as far as like, I gotta yeah. write 12 songs. Like, are you kidding me? But I feel like every couple months I can put out three or four songs. And then I think my plan is maybe at the end of the year, if I really am still in love with all of them, I might compile them up and put them on vinyl. Hmm. So I might, like, at at the end of the year, if I've put out three or four of these and I still feel really strongly about them and I think that they're, they're, um, you know, worth it, I might spend the money and, and compile them all onto vinyl and put out a kind of a, you know, a full length, a, a, a compilation of the year's EPs. And then maybe try to do that every year. Right. I don't want to get too much ahead of myself. I might lose interest in this tomorrow, but like, <laughs> you know, uh, that kind of seems more fun to me looking mm-hmm. at it that way. Like, let's just put out three songs and six yeah. months from now, I'll put out another three songs or a single. And then at the end of the year, you got 12 or whatever. And it's just, yeah, right. It's, it's more bite sized, you know, and I'm really terrible at promoting my own stuff. Like mm-hmm. I really, all I really know, the only way I know how to promote a record is to literally like email it to all my friends and mm-hmm. say, I think you, you, you might like this. You, you like music. You might like this. I don't know how to send shit to like fucking, you know, I don't know. Are there newspapers anymore? Are there magazines? Is there? There's no Phoenix. Yeah, there's nowhere no. to send. Well, there's motifs. There's so. motif, and, and and Mark Clarkin wrote up a really nice review, and Rob Duguay wrote up a really great review for me, and the right. um, and it, it's really cool. Those outlets are still out there, but I know nothing about that anymore. Right. So, for me, like, um, taking it in like little bite-sized pieces just makes more sense. That way, you've always got something kind of fresh. That way, sure. I'm not spending you know, two or three weeks or a month really annoying people about a full-length record, and then I've already bothered everybody about it, but 
I have nothing else to put out. Like, I, it's, right. It's kind of like, you know, just put out, pepper yeah. it out. It's, you know? it, I've, I've heard about this recently from like some artists where they're like, you know, kind of trying to keep into consideration. It's like, well, how do I keep on, you know, like touching my sphere? Like, how do I keep on reaching out to the and people? And holding that, people's like, attention. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is what it is. I mean, like, you know, the full length record, I mean, at this point, unless it's, you're on a label, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, unless unless like you said, you're cranking them out, or or you're on a label. I mean, yeah, it's it's it kind of is almost like a mute point. Like yeah. you know the the new the new like way to make music. I mean, it's just about releasing a song at a time, really. And, and so, so many three people do four, that. Yeah, sure. friend, friends of mine who have their band stuff on Bandcamp, a lot of them are doing a song at a time, and that's really cool too. I mean. At the end of the day, whoever is listening to your music, they're listening to it most likely on a digital platform where it's all right there anyway. Right. So it doesn't matter if you've got one 12 or 15 song full length or four EPs, they're all right there anyway. Yeah. You know, I, again, this is only the, I've only put out one. Um, we'll see if my attention lasts for the whole year. But like, it's cool to like, you know, make an album cover because I do it all myself like I, mm-hmm. I make you know I, I, the photo that's on the cover of the record yeah, I all took t- that picture that's my neighbor's house I do it all myself right. and it's kind of fun it's more of a craft it's all like, the songs too you've re- recorded everything by yourself all or? the songs on this are all recorded myself I play all the instruments mm-hmm. and I do all the mixing and I handed it over to uh, my friend Pete Lima who's my, the drummer in um, my band Sweet Dreams who has his own studio he's really good at this stuff and he mastered it and um, cool. I think it's I think it's important to sort of hand it off. First of all, I don't know how to master. A yeah. So that's the first difficulty. <laughs> Number two is is that I think that you're too you're too close to it. But I think that what I'd like to maybe experiment with, maybe for the next one or or the one after that, is like handing off the full mixing to someone else too, and just to see if someone else hears it differently than me. You know, I've got a mm. bunch of friends who would love to you know, I think would be great at it. Sure. Um, it'd be cool to like, and right now I would like, oh, it's almost like, it's too precious. It kind of makes me feel like <laughs> panicky or nervous to like hand off the mixing to someone else. But, you know, really that's how it's always been. And like for bands, I can yeah. go to a studio, you're not mixing it, but I think it would be cool to hear, um, you know, just to, just to not take full control over that and to see what someone else can do with it and make it even better. But we'll see, you know, I I might want to keep doing it myself. Part of the fun of this has been that it's my thing from beginning to end, you know, like I'm doing all the playing, all the instruments, um, and mixing it. It's kind of like my little hobby thing. So we'll see. I'm I'm enjoying doing it that way, but I'm definitely open to that. And also having friends come and play on it. Like for the next one, I'd like to have some friends come over and, Sure. Add a guitar thing, add a keyboard thing, you know. Right. Well, I mean, the way that you've done it so far sounds great. Thank you. The, the Thank you. I appreciate current, that. The current EP is three songs, three songs long. It's uh, available. It's available everywhere. I know Pretty it's much. on iTunes, yep. Spotify, whatever, and then the Bandcamp, of course, band obviously. Camp, for and then sale. whatever your digital platform is, it's even on Tidal. Ooh, wow. Yeah, right? Yeah, you did a deep for this. Jay-Z money, breaking it in. <laughs> 
Cool, man. Well, um, then in, in that case, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with next. And, Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. I'll be, I'll be following. I'll be uh, following on Bandcamp. Cool. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Come and do this. Thanks really for cool. Absolutely. Thank you for choosing this record. I've been dying to to dive into this. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Thanks, awesome. Kevin. Thanks for the record. I'm keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> Vinyl and Vision is a Psychic Static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of 123 Astronaut.